trying to, uh, we're, we've been, I wanted to try to wrap up today what has been a, uh, a long, pretty long series that we've done on Genesis, really looking especially at the first few chapters of questions like, who is this God who's made us? You know, what has he created us to be about with our lives? Um, what is sin and how has it affected God's good purposes? And then some follow-up of how that's played out in God's plan uh, over the long haul. Last week, Justin Lesline, our director of Young Adult Ministries, uh, did a great job, I think, of, of taking Genesis 12 and looking at the call of Abraham and how God, at that point in redemptive history, narrowed his focus to one man and the nations that would come from him. Uh, but it was, it was narrowed to him not to be exclusive and to exclude everybody else and to just, God just wash his hands of everybody else, but it was actually the opposite. He, he focused on Abraham and, and his family and the nations that would come from him so that he could be a light, a blessing to the nations, so that he could see his redemptive purposes uh, continue. Today, we're going to look at Genesis 22 really as an example of what happens in the rest of the scriptures, of how that plan plays out and how what tends to happen over and over is that God's chosen people, who were chosen not because of anything in and of themselves, but God's chosen people end up being their own worst enemy. And as I was thinking about that whole idea, it made me think of the Andy Griffith show. I don't know if they still do reruns of the Andy Griffith show. I grew up watching them and I loved them. You know, you've got Andy, uh, there was Andy Taylor there in, in the town of Mayberry, who's the sheriff, who's uh, just Mr. Squeaky Clean, good guy, rarely does anything wrong, uh, loves his Aunt B and Opie and takes care of the town. Um, and it just even, he's one of those guys that you, you look at him and you ask the question, what's he doing in Mayberry? You know, he's, got, he's a gifted guy that could be anywhere. He could be in Mount Pilot, but he's here in Mayberry, you know, uh, working there away with, with, uh, with these guys like Otis and Floyd and others. And then you got Barney, who is uh, the comic relief of, of the, the show. I mean, you've got others that are, are funny and that, that add flavor, but Barney, everything hubs around him, and he is Mr can't do anything right. In spite of himself and all his efforts to try to be perfect, to be this hero, he ends up being his own worst enemy. You know, He takes his one bullet and ends up shooting himself in the foot instead of taking care of the criminals. And then you've got uh, whoever else is in the, the show. And it's usually uh, a, a story that would unfold like a guy that seems to be a nice guy comes to town. And He's a, he's a nice guy, seems to fit in well, starts to get to know some of the locals, only to find out towards the end of the show that he's been duping everybody and that he's some, some kind of criminal that's come from out of town and Andy or Barney or some combination of them, uh, maybe Gomer, ends up finding a way to, to capture this criminal and save the day. I was thinking about that in light of, you know, what I think our tendency is to think of ourselves in the story of life, especially spiritually, as uh, at least on the outside we can present ourselves like Andy Taylor, that we've got it all together. We tend to maybe think of ourselves that way a lot of times. Um, but then, you know, it doesn't take long in life for us to start to feel like, especially seasons of our lives, that maybe we're not Andy after all. Maybe we're Barney. 
We can't seem to do anything right. We seem to just get in the way of ourselves, uh, of, of doing anything worth anything. And that may fit sometimes. But when you go to passages like Genesis 22, when you read the, the early chapters of the Bible, you see that really our problem is more than just being a Barney, uh, being a, a mess up. It's, it's deeper than that. Uh, a lot of times we end up being the criminal. Uh, that's what sin has done to us, is it makes us unable. We can take the good gifts that God has given, but we end up using them for destructive purposes. We end up being the ones that can uh, have, have no reason. We could easily fit in to a town of Mayberry, but we end up being the one that has, is using those things for selfish or criminal purposes. That's what we see in Genesis 22. It's interesting. I want to look at three points as we work through. I'll read it in just a second. But I want to work through three points just to let you know where we're going. We're going to look at God's call for Abraham. We're going to look at our problem, what our inclination is. And then we're going to look at God's provision. And again, hopefully it'll be a a way to to leave the study on Genesis knowing kind of how the rest of the story unfolds. Because this this chapter really is a a good picture of how things go throughout the the history of the nation of Israel and even after Jesus comes in the New Testament. Let me read it, Genesis 22. I'll make a few comments as we go. After these things, God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, here I am. He said, Take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. So Abraham rose early in the morning, saddled his donkey, and took two of his young men with him and his son Isaac. And he cut the wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place which God had told him. On the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place from afar. Then Abraham said to his young men, Stay here with the donkey. I and the boy will go over there and worship and come again to you. And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac, his son. And he took in his his hand the fire and the knife. So both of them went together. And here let me just make a real quick comment. If you look at stories like this in the scripture, a lot of times you see uh, things are moving at a rapid pace. There's a lot that's happened in these first few verses. And it's almost like if you look at like a movie, it's the... The camera is, is, is way away and is zooming over the landscape. And you can see, you know, way in the distance in the desert, you see Abraham and Isaac walking, you know, with the donkey going on this journey. But then there's a little tool that the author uses here that scholars call an inclusio. And it's this phrase at the end of verse 6, so both of them went together. And you see it again at the end of verse 8, so, both, so they went both of them together. And at that point, what the author is doing is he's saying, hey, listen up. Things are slowing down. The, the, the lens is zooming in. This is the crucial part of the story. And it happens right here in verse 7. Isaac said to his father, Abraham, My father, he said, Here am I, my son. He said, Behold, the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. So they went both of them together. When they came to the place at which God had told them, Abraham built the altar there and laid the wood in order and bound up Isaac, his son, and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then Abraham reached out his hand and took the knife to slaughter his son. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. He said, Here am I. He said, Do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him. 
For now I know that you fear God, seeing you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, behind him was a ram, caught in a thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called the name of that place, The Lord Will Provide. As it is said to this day, On the mount of the Lord it shall be provided. The angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time from heaven and said, By myself I have sworn, declares the Lord, because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you. I will surely multiply your offering as the stars of the heaven, as the sand that is on the seashore. And your offspring shall possess the gate of his enemies, and in your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed, because you have obeyed my voice. So Abraham returned to his young men, and they arose and went together to Beersheba, and Abraham lived at Beersheba. So much here we could talk about. I won't hit every detail, won't answer every question, but I want to get a sense of the big picture as we go through it. First of all, let's look at God's call to Abraham. This call in chapter 22, at the first couple of verses, is really the third call to Abraham. The first call, the initial call of Abraham, you have to go all the way back to Genesis 1, 1 and 2, where we studied that call of all human beings, of all mankind, to be fruitful, to multiply, to fill the earth and subdue it. It was the call to, to do what you've been created to do. And we know since those, that time of Genesis 1 and 2, sin has entered the world and that call has been frustrated and, and devastated. We've, we've looked and we've studied all of that. In chapter 12, what Justin looked at last week, there's a second call, as specifically to Abraham himself. And here he's asked to give up all worldly hopes. Um, he's, he's called to give up his family, his place of, of, of origin, and to go to the land that I will show you. And uh, he's, he's, it's a huge sacrifice, and, and, and it's amazing. He gets up and he goes. He follows. He obeys. He, he follows the voice of the Lord. Um, and there's many reasons for that. There's, there's God working in his heart. But there's also this sense of, hey, Abraham, I'm calling you to give up these things, but I'm calling you to something specific. This promise that I'm going to provide a son. I'm going to provide an heir so that you can actually do what your first initial call was, to be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it in the way that you were designed to do it. So Abraham's got this huge second call, this, uh, this idea of I'm giving up, but I'm getting this thing that I desire so much. You know the story of Abraham, if you've, if you've been around church or you've read your Bible at all, is, is the idea that he was unable to have a kid. And so there was this frustration, this impatience, and, and God uses all of this in the life of Abraham over these, these number of years to, to develop his faith and to, to reaffirm his promise to him and to say, hey, wait on me, wait on me. No, don't take it into your own hands. Wait on me, wait on me. And here in the, the chapters leading up to chapter 22, we just have heard about, read about, if we're reading as we go, that God had provided after all of these years of waiting, this, this deepest desire of Abraham's heart, uh, this thing that God had promised him all those years ago when he, when he asked him to leave all of his, uh, his worldly, worldly hopes, now is provided. The years of struggle and refinement, of giving up everything, has led to this. And if you're an Israelite and you're, 
you're listening to this, this story as it unfolds, you've, you've said, okay, it's complete. All this struggle, all of this, this promise, this waiting has led up to this, and now God has provided. So we can stop at Genesis 21. The story is complete. What a testimony of God's provision. After all this time, he was true to his word. All of it was worth it for Abraham. And you start to get up from your seat and leave the story as it's being told. And you hear, after these things, God tested Abraham and said, Abraham, he said, here am I. And he said, take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains, which I shall tell you. And you're saying, wait a second, that doesn't fit. The story had a great ending. Why does it continue? Why didn't God end it there? He would have been seen as glorious and faithful and the God that provides. But there's this third call. Um, And the question of this third call was basically God asking, Abraham, has all this waiting, has all this sacrificing for all of these years, has has it been for me or has it been for the promise? Has it been for me or has it been for this boy? Who's, who's more important? Who is at the center of your life? Who is the Lord of your life? The, the call seems strange, especially to our ears. Why in the world would God call anybody, much less Abraham, to, to kill his son, to sacrifice his son as a burnt offering? That just seems like... Something crazy that only these you know, weird people do way out there in another time, in another place. Well, obviously it didn't seem that crazy to Abraham. It was never a sense of, um, wait a second, God, that doesn't make sense. It was a getting up again and following. Was it blind faith? Was it Abraham just saying, um, man, I, I, you're God, I'm not, I'll do it? Well, yes, in some senses, but there's also this context in this culture of the idea of the firstborn. Uh, the firstborn in these days would receive the majority of the estate. Uh, they would be a father's, a family's hopes and dreams, a sense of worth and identity. It would be like um, God asking a surgeon to give up his hands or a musician to give up his prized instr- instrument. It was this sense of identity, of worth, of what all my hopes and dreams are in this thing is what God is coming and saying, hey, I, I need to know if, if it's this thing that you love more than anything or if it's me. The, the, the firstborn was the representative of, of the family. Um, and because of this, the firstborn was the only acceptable sacrifice for the sin of a family because of what it represented. The hopes and dreams of all of our family, of our future, is set on this person, this firstborn. Um, So God was not asking Abraham to go into the tent and murder Sarah, his wife. He was not asking Abraham to actually go into the tent and murder his son. He was asking him to, he was basically calling in the dead of sin, saying, Abraham, take your firstborn. And go offer him as a burnt offering, as a sacrifice for the sin of the family. You see it played out in Exodus during the, the, the plagues. Where, does the, where do the plagues culminate? Well, they culminate in God sending his judgment on who? 
on the firstborn. And, and that's the whole ceremony of Passover is that the Israelites were to take this little lamb into their home, kill it, spread the blood on the doorpost as, as if to say, God, this lamb has died so that the firstborn wouldn't have to. Um, I was sharing that story. We were reading through the Bible with our kids, and, and my oldest, Nathan, six years old, he got it. He said, wait a second, Daddy. You're saying that that firstborn kid, that oldest child, would have had to die if they hadn't killed this lamb. I said, yeah, that's what I'm saying. He said, I don't like this story. <laughs> I said, I understand, because you're the firstborn. I said, I've got an older brother. It doesn't bother me that much. Um, and he got it. Of Hey, this, there's a sacrifice being made here. A substitute is being provided. Well, that's what was going on in here. God was calling Abraham, saying, Abraham, you're guilty. You're not without sin, and I'm calling in the debt that you owe. Go sacrifice your firstborn for the sins of your family. And so Abraham gets up, um, knowing his own sin, and follows the call. Now, we'll unpack that a little bit more in just a second, but I want you to sit with it for a minute while we talk about the second point here, not only do we see God's call as hard as it is, but we see our inclination, our problem. And our problem, to put it bluntly, is that we tend, as Abraham was here, to make good things into best things. To mistake, as Romans says, the created thing for the creator. It's called idolatry all through the scriptures. Um, I was reading a book that told of, of, of some different examples uh, of this. And, and the author was saying, you know, he, he'd read about an army officer who was so zealous for discipline and for excellence and physical ability in his troops that he ended up crushing them. And then in battle, these issues started coming out and it ended up being a devastating loss in, 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 the, in the heat of battle because of the, the zeal of this officer for something good it had turned into something bad. I also read of a, of a poor woman who grew up poor and, and ended up re- resolving, I will not be poor later on in my life. I'm going to marry somebody that's got some money. And so she passed up some, some very good potential relationships and married a man who she didn't love that had money, who after a few years they ended up getting divorced. She was left with nothing and ended up what? Poor, without. She wanted something and there's nothing wrong with money, with security in that sense, unless it's the ultimate thing. And it ended up destroying her. also read of, uh, of a mother who was unable to have kids for years and years and years. And just, it just became an all-consuming desire. And the Lord finally gave her uh, two children later on in her life. But because of, of that, that thing had become the all-consuming drive of her life, when she had these kids, she was such an overbearing mother, such a protective, such a uh, wanting to see them have all the, the best that she ended up driving them away and being estranged from the very kids that she desired so much to have. What was going on in those relationships? Well, the same thing that Abraham was tempted with here. This this, this promise that God had given so many years ago, it was a good thing. It was actually, God had said, this is how I'm going to carry out my, my, my plan. Through your son, through Isaac. And, and so Abraham's saying, this is great, I love it, I love it. But then this, this affection had become now devotion. He has in danger of making this good thing the best thing. 
And so God says, I've got one more call for you, Abraham. I need to know, has this become the ultimate thing in your life? Or um, can you have it in the right order, in the right priority? Isaac was a wonderful gift, but was not safe to hold until Abraham was willing to put God first. Um, I remember early on in my life when my dad was taking me hunting for the first time. South Georgia, we did hunting, bird hunting, and I had a 410, uh, we single shot, you know, you cracked it open, and I was so excited that first day. And my dad gave the whole lecture, and I listened, this is not a toy, you have to be able to use it rightly, and until you can prove that you're responsible, then, you know, I'm, I'm going to be with you all along the way, and I'll hand you the gun, and you know, we'll take safety, all that kind of stuff. Well, first time I got the gun, my brother was with me, older brother, and uh and my dad was in the midst. He said, now hold this just for a second. Let me tell you what we're going to do. He was in the midst of telling me how to safely handle the gun. And I saw a bird. And I just, whoo, I went, I, I threw it up and shot. And my brother was right here. And the gun barrel was right here. And my brother let me have it. Do you realize what you just did? You could have shot my head off. And uh, from that point on, my dad carried the gun the rest of the day. And I learned the lesson. This is something that has power to it. And until I'm ready to handle it rightly, I've got no business holding it. Um, the same thing I learned with my, with my first truck. <laughs> At 16 years old, I bought uh, for $2,000. I'd saved up for summers, and I got a truck. And the first time my dad caught me doing uh, donuts and in, the, uh, in the field, he said, you're not ready to drive this thing, so give me those keys. This is a powerful thing. It's a blessing. It's a gift. But until you're ready to be responsible with it, uh, you're not going to drive it. God is saying in a loving way that to Abraham, Abraham, this is a gift. Until you're ready to handle it rightly, until I know your heart, I can't give it over to you fully because you'll use it for your own self-destructive purposes and you'll end up crushing this good gift. You'll be too hard on him and... And you'll end up over-disciplining him because you want him to be perfect. Or you love him so much that you want discipline when he needs it and end up spoiling him. You've got to have me first and then have this thing, this gift, this, this son in the right way. It's hard to see for us that God might have a plan for our lives that is wiser than our own. And how we know if something is an idol is how much it bothers us to think about the thought of losing it. It's a good gift. This is a, a child. This is a son. This is an heir. But it can only be uh, the right gift and head, handled in the right way if God is first. And we see that in the last point here in God's provision. We could talk a lot about this. We won't have much time left. What was God's provision in this situation? Well, first of all, his first provision was actually the test. See, the test itself was a means of God's rescue. He was rescuing Abraham from himself. Somebody said it this way, you don't realize Jesus is all you need until Jesus is all you have. And so God is saying to Abraham, listen, this is, this is something that is a, a counterfeit God in your life. And it will remain invisible to you until I put you in a situation where you see the danger of the road that you're headed down. You have to be more than willing, Abraham, to give him up. You have to see that he's become something that you just 
you're, you've got to hold on. You've got a grip on and you can't let go. You can't trust me with. So the test itself was a means of God's provision and rescue. But secondly, God provided a sacrifice. Abraham's walking with Isaac, the son of promise, and he's got to be thinking, listen, I know God is holy. I know he's got to call in his debt of sin at some point, in some way. But I also know God is gracious. I know that to be true of God. He's merciful and, and he's loving. How can these things both be true? How, how in this situation can he be just and holy, but also be loving and, and merciful and gracious? How, how's it going to work? And he ended up resolving in his heart, I don't know how it's going to happen. But I trust that he's both of these things. And so he takes the walk up this mountain. And he takes the knife and he raises it up. And just at that moment, God says, stop. Now I know that you fear me, not that you're scared of me in just a a bare scared sense. But that you are um, purely committed with a single-minded devotion to me. That you're willing to trust, as Hebrews tells us later on. That God's even willing and able to raise from the dead, if that's the means that he chooses, to be both just and holy and loving and merciful. And so he proves himself. He, he provides a sacrifice of lamb. If Abraham had not believed God was holy, he would have been too angry to go up that mountain. If he had not believed God was gracious, he would have been too crushed and hopeless to go up that mountain. But he held both in tension, and he trusted and walked forward. The last thing that God provided is clarity. The, the, the idea, the word for provision that God has provided here that he says over and over can also be translated uh, see. They see clearly is the idea. So it was a provision, literally, but it was also a provision of, of clarity. that Abraham's idolatry had been revealed, but so had God's mercy. And ultimately, it was a, a picture of God's plan being revealed right here on top of this mountain. That the only way to take care of sin ultimately is through something we know of now. It's called substitutionary atonement. There's got to be a substitute. A, 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 a willing and perfect sacrifice. And it was at a similar mountain, maybe even the exact one, years, years later, that the perfect Lamb of God the perfect sacrifice, gave himself willingly as a sacrifice for Abraham's sin and for every one of our sins. And so God is giving Abraham a taste of, hey, this, this little ram is going to do for now. But there's a substitute coming. There's a lamb, a, a sacrifice coming that will take care of sin once and for all. It will take care of, of your idolatry of your proclivity, of your inclination to sin, to take what's good and make it best, to replace myself in your life with other things. As we look through the rest of the Scriptures, as we read the rest of the story of of Scripture, we see over and over this story of the Israelites taking what's good from God and making it an ultimate thing and forgetting about the very God that's given it to them in the first place. They, they seek after other things that will not satisfy. It's Israel over and over. And then we get to the New Testament, and it's the disciples. And you see Jesus saying, hey, you've got to take up your cross and follow me. 
this is hard, but you've got to leave everything else behind. You've got to be truly willing and then do it, obey, obediently follow me. We see it in the church today. How quickly we leave and forget about the God who's given us these gifts and, and clench tightly to whatever these gifts are that he's giving. These good things that end up, if we put them as best things, leading us down a, a, a story of destruction. We see it in Peter's restoration very beautifully, where Jesus comes to Peter three times. Well after he's denied him, he comes to him three times, and he says, Peter, not, not do you love these, these, these people, not do you love the church, not do you love the gospel, the story of it, but do you love me? Do you love me, Peter? Because you've got to love me for you to be able to do anything else that I'm going to call you to do. Because the people are not going to be lovable all the time. The calling itself is not going to be easy and loving all the time. But do you love me? I've got to be sinner. The problem is not outside of us. It's inside of us. And for all of our right and helpful focus on mercy ministry and bringing justice for those that are and not experiencing it for the poor, um, this is a reminder not to neglect our primary problem, which is our own hearts and the purity of them. If we don't take care of our own hearts and knowing how evil that they are, knowing our inclination to take the good things of God and replace God with them, um, then we're going to take these other things that are good in and of themselves, these other pursuits, and end up... um, taking them right down the the road of destruction. Abraham's story is ours. It's our call even today to examine our own hearts and to see times where God takes us into things that are uncomfortable um, and to see them as from his hand. Sometimes it seems like God is killing us when in actuality he's saving us, saving us from ourselves. Let's pray that he would reveal those things to our hearts even today. God, forgive us for our idolatry, for taking good things like our churches, our children, our jobs, our our spouses, our opportunities, our um, artistic or musical gifts or whatever it is, and clutching so tightly that we've ended up becoming devoted to them and worshiping those things instead of you. God, we pray you'd become more and more... um, everything to us, and that we could have those things back um, in the right order, in the right way, and then see you use those things for your honor and your glory and for our enjoyment in the right way. God, that's what we want for ourselves. That's what we want for others in this city who do not know you, who are pursuing hard the idols of this world, money and success and sex and power. God, we pray that we would be lights to go and Show them that there's something better, that you are the ultimate one that satisfies all of our needs. We pray that you'd use us in that way. In Jesus' name, amen.